So today, um, I want to go back into Paul's letter to the churches at Rome. I want us to take a deeper look into Paul's motivation for writing to these churches and see how much deeper the Lord will take us with the first part of this letter. So some things I want you to understand uh, for, about this, this sermon in particular is this sermon is going to be a two- or three-part sermon. And so I will not conclude today with this text. The entire text that Morgan just read, excuse me, just read, we will use over the next, this week, next week, and maybe a third week. Um, so you need, to be, you need to be here all three weeks or listen online in order to get the rest of it or else it'll be like not watching that, you know, the final episode of that cliffhanger that, you know, that you were trying to watch. But um, I just figured there is too much to get into to two or to one, so it would be better to have three shorter to average sermons than to have just one or two large ones. So I hope you're okay with that. I hope you can follow that and understand. I've told you this before, but understand the way we preach, if you're not, if you haven't been here long or um, you're not familiar with it, uh, the way we preach is we preach the Bible. And so when we preach the Bible, we understand that no sermon, no Sunday is greater than the last or the next. They're all together collectively making um, discipleship messages for us to build us up, to help us grow in the fear and admonition of the Lord. So um, you, and I say, maybe you think that might not, not need to be said, but you would probably go somewhere else in this city and find each sermon is spectacular and fantastic and the best. And each sermon is a can't live without. Whereas to, I would say this, I would say, I would say that each sermon is spectacular and great, but each sermon is just a building block. It's just a puzzle piece of a lifelong commitment to the Lord. And so what we're going to do here is we're just going to add another piece to that puzzle. Some things you need to understand about our verses for context is that if you remember, and we talked about this last week, just in case you weren't here, I'll, I'll reiterate. Paul was not the founder of the church at Rome. He did not bring the faith to the Roman people. As a matter of fact, it is believed that the churches at Rome were not started by direct apostolic origin. That they were started from, by people who spread as the gospel spread, and they spread the gospel to Rome. Um, early believers who just had the same passion for the gospel as Paul, but we probably just don't know their names, um, which uh, John Calvin said is the best life to live. Uh, I think it was John Calvin, to preach and then to die. It's the best life to live, to preach and then to die, because if you are known by Christ, you are known, and that's all that matters. Um, so the Romans didn't come, the Roman church didn't come from uh, direct origin of, of any apostle. Um, as the Catholic Church would like to tell you, Peter was not the first pope. Um, that's not that's not how it happened. Um, and we can talk. We can discuss that more if you'd like to at a different time. But um, so, but by the time Paul has written this letter, is writing this letter to his people, he has sort of developed some acclaim, some renown. Like he is known as a as a believer, as a as a stalwart of the faith. But I sense, and I could be wrong. I sense. Paul feels some obligation to, like, let the Roman church know a little bit more about his faith. Like, it'd be like sort of like a new pastor coming in and be like, well, this is my history. This is who I am, blah, blah, blah. So that the church kind of buys on board, gets on board with what 
um, buys in or gets on board with what he is saying. And so that's important to remember the context, in, in the context of, of what we're studying in, in Romans uh, chapter 1, verses, verses 8 through 16. I want to confess to you today, um, and this is uh, not plagiarized, it's not word for word, but I did take a cue from John MacArthur and a commentary from James Boyce on this. Um, I'm not saying this because I'm ashamed. I'm, I'm saying this because if you want to just tune out and listen to their sermons later, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's, it's not going to be the same. But um, I, did, I do want to say this because I don't want you to hear these sermons or maybe one day come across this commentary and think that, man, these ideas sound familiar. These guys preached these sermons in 1981, and they were thinking about what Bryce was going to preach in uh, 2019. No, that, that's not what happened. I, you know, some things are just right, right? Some things are just right, and it's not worth making it sound better or trying to make it sound better. As a matter of fact, sometimes when we do that, we sound foolish. You know, when we try to make something that's good, better, or great, better, we, we, we sound foolish. So I'm just going to I'm just going to use my own wording and use my own language and, and the thoughts that the Lord brought to me in, in preparation. And I promise you, uh, you can listen to this sermon from John MacArthur and, and you won't, you won't uh, lose faith in me that it's plagiarized. But um, So the, the thrust of our text today is not so easily seen. Uh, the thrust of our text is not so easily seen because we, really, we have to really slow down as we read it because if we do, uh, we might pass right by. I think the, th- the thrust of our text can be found in Romans 1.9. Romans 1.9. And it is this, that serving in the spirit of the gospel of God's Son should be the motivation for all who believe. That serving in the spirit of the gospel of God's Son should be a motivation for all who believe. And that's why I've titled my sermon today, Serving in the Spirit of the Gospel. Now, this may not feel like such an impactful statement to you, but Paul was motivated by the gospel and for the gospel, and in his spirit to serve God's people with the gospel. And through all that he had done against the gospel, he wants God's people to know that his faithful service was with the same, was the same faithful service that he had heard about, that had been reported about them. It was with a true faith, with action, and with the gospel as its thrust. Paul wanted the church to know that his service was not of self-will, or effort, but also that it was not of, uh, it was not half-hearted or flippant. That his faith was as genuine as theirs, and that his action was spirit-led. Now the church did not have a spiritual right, so to speak, to ask Paul to prove himself. Paul was proving himself in the faith. But he still does this. He still sort of lays out this proof of his faith for the benefit of the church. When I think about this, it reminds me of the vintage church covenant. Our church covenant is sort of a proving ground for Christians to show their loyalty to God, but also to prove, show loyalty and proof to the people of God. Not that it is required for you to prove yourself to the people of God, but that it's a good faith statement to say, look, I'm with you. We're together. We are one and the same. And we are fighting the same battle for the cause of Christ. 
It is a way that we can, that Paul was also, and we can, our church covenant, since I mentioned that, it's a way that we can sort of be initiated in the church. church. This is what Paul was doing. He was expressing his genuine love for the gospel, his love for the people of God, and in doing so, he was also laying out some proofs of what serving in the spirit of the gospel actually looks like. I want to ask you this question. It's one that I ask myself regularly. And hopefully it'll be one that you use to examine your own life. What is your motivation for doing what you are doing? What is your motivation for doing what you are doing for the cause of Christ? Or why or for whom are you serving? I'm under no delusion that our church, Vintage Church, is not easy to be a part of. As a matter of fact, I know that it's difficult. It's a difficult thing for many of you, whether you've been here for a long time or maybe even a short time. I know that serving Jesus is difficult. It requires us to give certain things up. It requires us to be viewed in a certain way. Right now, if you're in here, right now, if you're in this room, you are automatically, it's, it's the rule, it's a societal rule. You need to know this. If you're in this room, you are automatically a bigot. You're automatically homophobic, you're xenophobic, you're racist, you're all of those things. It's society rule. I don't know if you've caught on to that, but that's just how it is. That's, you are automatically all of those things. So it's hard, it's difficult to serve the Lord when, when it requires much of your time and effort and energy, but also the reward is to be called names that you're actually not. The reward is to be defamed. The reward is to be decried in the streets. It's difficult when everything within ourselves pushes us to be sort of a hermit, pushes us to, to recluse, if that is the way to use that word, ourselves, to be reclusive. It requires a complete, to follow the Lord, to be a part of a church like Vintage, it requires a complete countercultural mindset because everything within us and our culture says to be reclusive and to hide away. And Jesus says what? Be salt and light. Jesus says that a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. It's difficult because not only must we put ourselves out there in, a situa- in situations that make us uncomfortable, in situations where we will try to do good, we will try to do well, and our name will be decried, but also we, it, we, have, to put our, we have to put others first in order to fulfill the second great command. The, the Lord said to love others as you've loved yourselves. So we must ask ourselves, are we serving in the Spirit of the gospel. And we can sort of dissect our life by asking, what is my motivation for serving God? What is my motivation for getting here on Sunday morning, for getting my children here on Sunday morning? This is just a little side sermon. I want to tell you, if your primary motivation for getting here on, on Sunday morning is so that your children can be a part of something better, that's okay because we don't want them not a part of this, but, but your motivation has to be greater than just so my children will be a part of something better than not being a part of church. What is my motivation for serving the Lord, for following Him, for doing Christian things? Over the next few weeks, we will examine the first part of chapter 1 
of Romans. And, and in this section, Paul lays out what serving in the spirit of the gospel looks like. And we'll spend our time dissect, dissecting the text so that we can know how to apply this to our lives. Now, I've labeled these points for you. I've labeled them character, excuse me, characteristics of serving in the spirit of the gospel. Characteristics of serving in the spirit of the gospel. At this point, I have eight. Today, we will likely go through three, okay? So at this point, I have eight. And as I study a little bit further, uh, as I re-examine this again, maybe we will have more. But characteristics of serving in the spirit of the gospel. The first characteristic of serving in the spirit of the gospel is this. A spirit of gratitude. The first characteristic of serving in the spirit of the gospel is a spirit of gratitude. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Paul says in verse 8, a spirit of gratitude. There are so many things we can start with when we study the text of scriptures as it pertains to serving in the spirit of the gospel. But I think it would be so important to note that serving in the spirit of the gospel is most notably made or accomplished through thankfulness. Through a spirit of thankfulness, a spirit of gratitude. After all, isn't thankfulness our first response to the gospel calling of Jesus Christ? Isn't it thankfulness that causes us to abandon the sin that our eyes have been opened to, the sin that we have in our life, and to run to Jesus? Thankfulness must have been the response Paul felt as his heart and his mind were changed on the road to Damascus. It must have been the feeling that he felt as he entered his first church gathering, as he was invited into the house of the early believers with blood of Christians still on his garment. It must have been the way he felt. Thankfulness must have been the way he felt that God could take him from Saul of Tarsus to Paul the apostle, the Christian A spirit of gratitude is an essential element in order to serve in the spirit of the gospel. Now, I try not to get emotional because every time I do, Lexi is back on the back row and she does this. Check. Every time I get emotional, she tries to prove that I'm a a sobbing crybaby. And that's her way of pointing it out. She says, check. Okay, but I will tell you, when I think of Vintage Church... A spirit of gratitude is what comes to mind. Thankfulness is what comes to mind. And it's not difficult for me to get there. And I hope that if you're not there, that that is where you are someday. I think about Vintage Church and I think about leaving another church situation that was good, but going to one that I think, I thought, and still think is a dream. I think of the excitement I felt when we first got together and how much hope we had and how bright our future was. I remember the feeling when when it looks like all of it was going to be ripped away. And I remember the feeling as, I, as Anna and I uh, went to Le Bonheur one night and we talked with Blake and Lindsay in Eileen's hospital room. And I remember the thought that this was all going. This was all getting away. And I remember leaving that hospital room and, and praying with Blake and Lindsay. And I remember thinking, we're, we're going to do this. We're going to keep going. God is, God is with us. We're going to keep going. And how we promised each other to stick it out and move on with the plan. I remember as little by little, some of you felt the same way. And when I think about that, I think gratitude. I think about being grateful. And now you guys are stuck with me. But, the, but there is even more gratitude. Because a, a lot of you weren't there those days. 
And you're here today, and you've chosen to be stuck with me and us for a different reason. And all I can think about is gratitude for that too. That you're here. I get the same gratitude when people say, look, this vintage thing, it's weird, and it's unlike anything I've done, but I want it. Gratitude is a thought that you have when you feel like you don't deserve something, and yet it still comes your way. I feel like I don't deserve your love. I feel like I don't deserve the dedication that we've had to each other. And yet we're all here. Think about where we've come from. Think about where we're going, where we are now. And a proud heart or an ungrateful spirit just doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem right for me to look at the problems that we have at Vintage Church and think, gosh, I wish we were somewhere else. But instead to look at where we are and think, man, how the Lord has blessed us. We rejoice together. We rejoice together and we're grateful because the gospel is being spoken in our houses and to our families and friends and within this community. How can we look at what God has done and is doing and think anything but gratitude? This is why, friends, I will never look at you as a burden. Check. I will never look at you as a burden. I can't look at you as my problem. I look at you as my friends who stayed with me through thick and thin. And what else can I do? What else can I do if that's who you were to me? And so I'm grateful. An attitude of gratitude causes us not to see what we lack, but to see what we have. And not to waste our time hoping for what could be, but to relish in what is. And to look at the work that God is doing and thank God through the work of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit for where we are and where He is taking us. Friends, if you want to live your life for the gospel and serve in the spirit of the gospel, it starts with gratitude. It's a difficult step to take to develop a grateful spirit. But can I give you a few tips? This is going to be corny, but I want you to, I want you to take it, okay? Count your blessings. Learn to count your blessings. I mean to get gross with it, okay? You know those gross people I'm talking about where everything seems like rainbows and butterflies? Ugh! It's disgusting! Be those people! Count your blessings, you can't fall. Hey, listen, stop being mad at those people. Stop being jealous about those people or jealous of what the mindset that those people have and be those people. Develop the spirit of gratitude that they have that it's almost disgusting to be around. I mean, be genuine, obviously. <laughs> Count your blessings. Search for areas you are missing blessings by remembering that blessings are not just found in the positive aspects of your life. When I was a kid, one of my favorite songs was Some of God's Greatest Gifts Are Unanswered Prayers. But I learned early that there were no unanswered prayers. And so I changed the words of the songs to, song to Some of God's Greatest Gifts 
our answered prayers. You know, so I was being a dork, but that's what I did. I changed the song early on because all prayers are answered, but we have to realize that sometimes prayers are not answered in the way or the time or the shape that we want them to be. And sometimes in our greatest difficulties, we see the greatest blessings. You cannot, friends, get by in this life and serve in the spirit of the gospel by only looking at the positive things in your life life as blessings. Because I will tell you, it has been in the dirt. It has been in depression. It has been in a sorrowful state that I have found and developed genuine relationships. That I have found friends and loved ones. That I have grown in the spirit of the gospel. That I have learned to trust the Lord. That I have learned to be more like Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. It is in those times that I have grown as a believer because in those times I found that my blessings weren't just found and how great things were in my life. Can I tell you something else that will help you to be a person with a spirit of gratitude? Try not being so critical. Try not to be so critical. Now, I know it's easier said than done, but no one died and made you the official critique boss of everyone else's life. It's not your position, no matter how much it feels like it. We should be discerning, but do you know what a critical spirit does? It makes us focus so much on the negatives that we are blinded to the joys of this life. You know, comedians are some of the most unhappy people with high overdose rates and even high suicide rates. And I was just thinking about this, and I have a theory as to why, one theory as to why comedians are so unhappy, and it stems from this. In order to be funny, you have to be critical. You have to notice things about personalities, details about life, and quirks about people. As you are doing funny things, what ends up happening as you're noticing these funny things, what ends up happening is you end up seeing the negative things also. As a matter of fact, you end up focusing on the negative things. I honestly, and you know me, you know me well enough that I don't have to say this from the pulpit, but as a point of confession, I try to be so funny sometimes that I critique everything, that I just find critique in everything. And you know what? It creates a cynical spirit to be so critical. I'm not, I'm not saying don't be funny. I'm not saying don't, you know, you know, find little cute things to have, you know, secret jokes about. But that's like the fourth week in a row that I've mentioned, like, secret jokes or whatever. But anyway, um, so we'll have to edit that one out so it won't be funny. Um, but... I will tell you, a critical spirit kills gratefulness, and therefore it kills joy. It causes us to be, it causes us to never be happy, to let people always disappoint us, and to find wrong instead of joy. Look, there's a lot wrong within the church at Rome, right? We're going to find out that as we go through Romans. 
But within the first few sentences of the gospel, of, the, of this letter, Paul doesn't focus on all the wrong that's in Rome. Like he doesn't lay the list out and then say, this is what we're going to talk about for the next few um, pages of letter. He says, I want to thank God for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to thank God for your faithfulness. He focuses on the gospel and the positive aspect of this relationship that he knows about with his people. If we're constantly critical, friends, it's going to be hard for anyone to ever meet our expectations. We're going to have expectations so high, or even really expectations that are sort of moving. We will squash ourselves. We will squash others. And we will likely never be able to serve in the spirit of the gospel. Because the spirit of the gospel is not a spirit of discontentment. It's not a spirit of critique. It's a spirit of gratitude. Serving in the spirit of the gospel starts with a spirit of gratitude. And then we discover, this is the second point for today, a spirit of genuine faith. Paul says, for I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Spirit of gratitude. First thing he mentions. Because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. A spirit of thankfulness is huge, but also genuine faith is necessary. A genuine faith is proof that we are serving in a spirit of gratitude. They were renowned for their faith. Now, it doesn't always work out this way, but at least on some level, a genuine faith will lead to some level of renown. Think about the most faithful stories you have heard. Some of the most common sermon illustrations and stories we tell are about those who have lived faithfully under the most tumultuous of circumstances. They are champions of the faith. They are the great cloud of witness that Hebrews discusses. And the same still stands today when we hear of a church or a group of people taking a stand for the faith. As Christians, if they are doing it right, then we hold them in high esteem even if the world does not. As we know, genuine faith is not, only, is not the only faith that is renowned, though. We can see from the Word of Faith movement and from the prosperity gospel that insincere faith is also quite popular. Insincere faiths will be followed by the masses because they offer health and they offer prosperity and they fulfill the appetite of those that the Bible says whose God is their belly. We know just because your faith is renowned doesn't make it genuine. There are other faiths that are, faiths, faiths that are not in the spirit of the gospel, like religious feelings. Religious feelings that are separated from the truth of God's Word do not make does not make that a genuine faith. This is when people say they are Christian, but you start to ask them what they believe and their doctrine is completely se- or their their faith is completely separated from doctrine. Now I you know you know me, you've never you'll never accuse me of being too light on doctrine. But friends, it has to be there. A genuine biblical doctrine has to be there. You can't just say I believe in Jesus and not have doctrine and that be acceptable. The Bible says even the demons believe and they tremble. It's like saying I believe in Jesus but not believing in the Trinity or saying I believe in Jesus but not believing in the death, 
for, of Christ for, for the atonement of sins, saying I believe in Jesus, but not believing in the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus. These things are doctrinal issues that will make your faith, that will verify that your faith is genuine. <coughs> Subjective faith, separated from biblical truth, is no faith at all. Neither is blind faith. Blind faith is not a genuine faith. Wanting something to be true because you believe it to be true does not make for genuine faith. Listen, multi-level marketing people love people with blind faith. If I just get 4,000 of my friends to do this along with me, I will be a millionaire. Blind faith does not make genuine faith. Optimistic faith is not genuine faith. If you, if you, folks, if you just plant your seed and have faith like a mustard seed, well, that must mean if I believe strongly enough that it will happen. It must mean that, that if I just think it to be true, that it's true. It is a faith more in human spirit than in the Spirit of God. Now, this faith could spill over into other areas of our life, like how hard we work. Or what we put our, put our trust into for insurance or our savings or um, our future in general. These things do not account for genuine faith. Do you know what marks genuine faith? Paul alluded to it in verse 8. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you, for your faith is seen throughout the world. What type of faith was it? It was a faith in God through Jesus Christ. It was a faith that God alone can bring us up. He didn't thank them personally for the report, right? He didn't say, good job, church, for being a good witness. Isn't that what we would normally do if we're writing a letter to somebody or we're, we're telling someone how thankful we are? Um, isn't that how we would normally do it? If your children bring home a good report card, you don't typically say, I thank God through Jesus Christ for your good grades. Or if your husband gets a raise or a better job, you don't say, I thank God through Jesus Christ for your, your work ethic. You say, good job. You did a great job. Keep going. Keep pressing on. Or congratulations. Now their genuine faith can be seen here because Paul thanks God and not them for their faith and dedication to Jesus. For the word of their faith had spread throughout the land. He thanks Jesus for that. Because Jesus is the author and perfecter and proliferator of our faith. Their faith was contagious. It was renowned. You want to know something crazy? The Apostle Paul didn't speak of their fog machines and their worship band. He didn't mention the size of their campus or their children's department or their specialized activities that they had. The Apostle Paul mentioned their faith that was renowned. Guys, these were house churches. They were probably hundreds of small groups of believers that met in different places on a regular basis and they were changing the world through the gospel of God. So much so that the Roman government didn't know what to do with them and many of those early Jewish Christians were removed from the city. They were not simulcasting their services. They were just meeting with gratitude and genuine faith with the gospel and it was changing things. And it encouraged Paul and it encouraged others and he wanted to be around it. This genuine faith was contagious. 
He wanted to be near to it so that they could bless him. But he also had a contagious faith and he thought he could bless them. Faith like this, friends, is intoxicating. And it affects everyone around you in a positive way. This is why we... This, and now, this is... These people, these what I'm about to say, these types of these people and these things can be sort of golden calves to you also. But this is why we attach ourselves to Tim Tebow and Chick-fil-A, right? Because we see Christians doing great things in the world, also taking a stand, also being bold, and we say, man, we're not alone. Look at this faith. Your faith is renowned over all of Twitter. Your faith is renowned over all the fake news. Just kidding. Because we are encouraged by God's name being made great through Jesus. And when others stand in the face of trials and what people have to stand in today to be called Christians, we thank God because we know that that type of faith only comes from God. Friends, it doesn't take anything to do with that dude from... Um, Hillsong did. I don't know his name. I'll forget it. His name will be forgotten in history too. It doesn't do anything to do with Joshua Harris or Joshua Dow or whatever his name was. Joshua Harris. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't mean it doesn't take anything to do that. When other people are having success in faith, we don't feel alone. And we know that the have a faith with what they're standing against, can only come from God. It's neat to be cavalier a little bit, right? It's neat to be on your own and to look around and say, look, I'm leading for the gospel. And to look around. But you know what's neater? You know what's neater? To be walking and to look back and say, we're, we're leading for the gospel. We're leading. We're serving. It's better, friends, to have an Avengers Endgame sort of moment. Spoiler alert. Where you, where you look back and your whole crew is with you. Your whole clan is with you. You could have closed your ears or seen it. The, the statute of limitations is over on that. The reason it is so popular when Christians in... Uh, the reason it's so popular when a Christian pop culture icon walks away is because it is statistically Rare for those who follow Jesus, for those who have a faith. You know what? Impossible for those who have genuine faith in Christ to walk away. The reason it is so popular is because for every Joshua Harris, there are hundreds of thousands of people who have died by the knife, who have died by the gun, and who have been beaten and tortured and have stayed strong in the faith. For every Hillsong dude, there are millions who are still preaching the gospel fervently today whose faith is not shaken by man, but is strengthened through God in Christ Jesus. John said, faith is the victory that has overcome the world. And Paul said later to the church at Corinth, this type of faith demolishes arguments and retentions and takes captive our every thought and makes it obedient to Christ. So we ask ourselves, is this the type of faith we are known for having? Do we say about Jesus, how, or do, we say, does, do people say about us, excuse me, how strong is their faith in God through Christ Jesus? Friends, this is the type of faith I want. 
And I hope it's the type of faith you want. And I know, I hope it is the type of faith you pursue, you pray for, you long. There, there, there is no easy method. It first comes through the gospel. It comes through Jesus. And it's something we seek through prayer. It's something we seek by strengthening ourselves in the word. There is only cliche answers for this on how you develop strong faith. You trust in the Lord. You seek God through the word and you pray and you surround yourself with people and you look up to people who are not just wearing skinny jeans and not just have the pretty hair and who are not just leading in worship through music on a Sunday morning or at a concert, but who are leading in the word and who long for that more than anything. And if it would help for me to wear skinny jeans, I, I will wear them for you, if it would help. I almost wore them this morning, except Anna said, those are a little too tight on you. But it's only because, it's only because I've gained weight and not because they were naturally skinny jeans. All right. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, you're welcome, Thomas. I knew you would be happy about that. All right. And the last for today is this, a spirit of determination. A spirit of determination. For Verse 9. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. We'll finish up with this one today, but serving in the spirit of the gospel is definitely marked by a determined spirit. Paul said, for God is my witness who I serve in my spirit. There are two things of note in the way Paul worded this. Paul was specific in this to say my spirit because that wasn't historically how he served. Do you remember how Paul served? Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a Jew of Jews. And he served in a very physical and formalistic way. He had served as a Jew in the flesh. But he was also a Roman citizen. And he was in the flesh a pagan. And he was a functioning phony. But this isn't how he is now. He has changed He's a changed man by the grace of God and through the Spirit of God. And he is telling the people that his service is to the Lord for the sake of the gospel. And it comes from deep within him. Deep within his spirit. Now Paul is working to show and convince the church at Rome that the old self is behind him. That physical self is behind him. And he is being led by his spirit, which is being led by the Spirit of God. It is a determination that he would later say to fight the good fight, to keep the faith, to finish the race. It comes from deep within. And I think it means two things for us. I think this deep within my spirit means two things for us. We cannot finish the race with the spirit of human will or human spirit, however you want to put it. We cannot finish this race with human spirit. Friends, you need to know this, and I think you've probably heard me say this before, maybe once or a thousand times. A determined spirit is a successful spirit when that determined spirit trusts in the Spirit of God. Paul wasn't going to be successful in his faith because, just because he was determined, but because he was determined to trust Jesus. Do you see the difference? Do you see the nuance there, friends? You cannot get your life straight just because you are determined to do it. Just because you have decided to do it. You cannot organize your life. You cannot organize your work. You cannot become more successful. You cannot be a better Christian just because you are determined to do it. 
just because you think that your will is strong. You only follow Christ. You only grow in the faith because you are determined to follow Christ and nothing else. Paul said, I am determined in my spirit. What he's saying is, I am determined in my spirit to follow the Son of God. Friends, this is huge. This is huge because you will never get it if your sufficiency is not found in Christ alone. You will never get it. You will labor and you will fight and you will struggle and you will fail. We will give all the effort in the world and we will say, why is this not working? Or how did I get here? I have tried everything. I have given all the effort I could. Paul said, it's deep within me to follow the Spirit of God. And the second thing, and this is important, and I don't think that I've clarified this enough. And if I have, if I haven't confused you by this in the past, then you're good. But if I have, I'm going to clarify it for you today. We can trust our spirit because of the Spirit of God within us. In the past, I've said, you've heard me say, we are depraved. We are sinners. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's true, right? All those things are true. But do you know what? The New Testament says, therefore, you know where I'm going with this? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Now listen, our heart, it's a fickle thing. And I still think that it's very, we should be very cautious with our leadings. We should examine every heart leading and make sure that it lines up with the gospel of God. But friends, guess what? We are a new creation of God. If we are in Christ, if we are pursuing Christ through His Word, if we are pursuing Christ in prayer, if we are trusting in Him, we can trust the leadings of our spirit because we are being led by the Spirit of God. Friends, we must fight with everything that we have. We must resist in every way that we can. We must pursue with every passion the author and perfecter of our faith, the alpha, the omega of our faith. You should have a determined spirit, friends, but it shouldn't be determined because you think your will is going to be done on earth as it is in heaven. It should be determined to find Jesus because His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray with me today, God, you are so good and you are holy and we trust in you. Lord, would you help us to live our life with a determined spirit, a spirit that trusts and longs for you. Lord, would you help us to have a genuine faith? Would you help us to pursue faithfulness so that we may develop a genuine faith? Would you help us to always have an attitude of gratitude. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus for his sake. Amen.